Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. I wanted to announce a new partnership between Coaching You and Zone Sports. You know, for a long time, one of the intangibles by coaches and athletes is team chemistry. And it's a major factor all the time in whether a team has success or failure. When the folks from Interzone came to me at Coaching You and said, we can even help your team, I was all ears. And what we did is we took a quick assessment, two to four minutes each person, and we were stunned by what we found out about ourselves and our team. You owe it to yourself to find out what Interzone can do for your team. It's the simplest and fastest and most accurate software available to measure team chemistry. I highly recommend, without any reservation, the use of Interzone with your team, whether you're a middle school, high school, college, or professional team, to help take you to the next level. For further information, go to coachingyoulive.com slash Interzone. That's I-N-N-E-R-Z-O-N-E. Welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. And I'm so excited today, old-time, dear friend, Tommy Amaker, the head coach of Harvard University, my first Ivy League podcast. I hope he doesn't judge me bad with my grammar, but he is so, he's a special friend. I've known him since he was at Duke. He's one of the best coaches in the country, and after this time out, you're going to learn why. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. 
To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. And I'm so excited today to have one of my favorite guys, favorite coaches, Tommy Amaker, the head basketball coach at Harvard University, as our guest. Tommy, welcome, my friend. Coach, thank you. It's a pleasure to speak with you and uh, to be a part of your podcast and known you for a long time and a great great admirer of yours as well. So thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, I, I don't, when I do my podcast, I don't like say, oh yeah, let's talk about your high school career back in Virginia. I yeah. don't do that shit. Okay. And so <laughs> when, I, I want to talk about when you and I and Stephanie would have breakfast every day at, uh, you know, at, when we were in the, in the battle for Atlantis a couple of years ago. And we would, when I was at UCF and we'd go there and we'd have our meals together. And that, 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 that was fun. That was really enjoyable. That was great, wasn't it? And, I mean, that, that, that tournament itself is, uh, is fantastic. And for us to be in the, the inaugural one, as you remember, yeah. that was and, the first one. And, boy, we and screwed things up for them, didn't we? We, we really did. We really did. They, they, they allowed us both to get into the finals. And uh, I, I, it's, it's gone in a great, great direction since then, though, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, I know Jim Calhoun doesn't listen to, to, this, to my podcast, okay, he will after he hears me what I say about him. But Calhoun and UConn's ranked fourth in the country. And Kevin Ollie, who's one of my former players, I love Kevin. He He's the assistant, you know, with the great George Blaney. Yes. And and uh, Leonard Hamilton, one of my favorite guys yes. in the world, is at Florida State. They're nationally ranked, and they're down there. And the way they set up that tournament, if you remember, is they're giving yes. they're giving yes. the they're giving playoff shares to the yes. to the teams that reach the finals. I mean, big ones. That's right. And, and uh, to get good teams, and so UCF and Harvard are like come down for room and board, and that's you know, take right. up to the latest. We'll give for, you a for, free rooms yeah, and that's meals. Right. That's right. And don't you know that in the semifinals you upset Florida State. And we beat UConn in overtime. So the finals on national TV are Harvard and UCF. <laughs> and UCF. It was a, it was an amazing tournament, obviously, it for was. a lot of reasons. And and I think our game against Florida State, if you remember, we we probably set the get the sport of basketball back. Uh, <laughs> Leonard and I have had discussions about this, and and we both agreed with this. But we probably set the sport back maybe maybe fifty years. They the way, couldn't. The way we, they couldn't score we against we you. Couldn't, neither one of us. I mean, we couldn't throw it in, and certainly. That was great for us because obviously, as you as you said, that they were a tremendous team. I mean, we went on to have a really good year, and yeah. certainly, um, you know, whatever happened when we played them, they they were just certainly uh, off their game, and was we were lucky and fortunate for that. And it was one of those low scoring games that it was like you know watching paint dry, and uh, it was brutal. And we and we survived it. And as you mentioned about everybody thinking it was going to be Florida State and UConn in the championship game, which would have been a highlight for the tournament and TV ratings and all those things. And here you go. We got Harvard and, and Central Florida battling out for the Battle for Atlantis championship. That was great. Now, you you guys, I loved your team, and I loved the style of play. When, when you, uh, you know, playing for Coach K and, you know, going there, and, and, and it's absolutely incredible that when you finish play, playing, 
and then you're drafted by Seattle. When you came to Duke and you had a great playing career, you know, All-American, Defensive Player of the Year, your senior year, and, you know, in, you know, in your junior year, I guess, you know, you got to the NCAA title game, right? That's right. That's right. My and junior so, year in Dallas. Yeah. yeah. And so you go, and when you're playing at that high level in the, in the best conference in the country at that time, do you think you're going for a long pro career? Is that what, you know, is in the mind of, a, of you as a player, a really top flight player? You know what, Coach, for me, I, I think uh, I knew that, in all honesty, I knew that I was uh, a fringe guy at best mm -hmm. to be an NBA player, but certainly had the dream sure. and the aspirations of trying to get there um, and, and was hopeful. And I honestly knew that in my situation, given, you know, my size and my, I was, I think I was pretty self-aware, you know, which, yeah. Um, I like them. Which, which all college back, but kids are nowadays. <laughs> yeah, every, all, all the players are right. They're self-aware of who they really are. Um, but I, I kind of knew that, you know. And I, I that's why I didn't have any, you know. I, I really wanted to enjoy the whole experience of it in terms of being a on a on a really good college team, playing for a great college coach, and so all of that was very meaningful to me. And and I knew that I was just going to give it the best I had. Um, and was drafted, as you mentioned, by Seattle and cut by Seattle. Bernie Bickerstaff was the was the <laughs> coach and, and, and a really good guy and a friend. And through the years, I've known him. I actually just saw him recently, um, you know, when Harvard played at Howard in Washington, D.C. But, um, but, but, cut, but cut by the Supersonics. And, um, you know, and that, that was the end of my kind of my, you know, dream of being in the NBA and, and thought about opportunities after that and, um, you know, met with Coach K and different things like that, uh, people that I respected and I loved and, and had opportunity to start as a graduate assistant at Duke for him, uh, which is, you know, how, how lucky was I to get an opportunity Incredible. like that that was open and available. I'm interested. I'm interested. After 45 years, I'm interested in being his GA right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I should never have left. That's what I keep saying all the time. I should, I should have stayed in that position forever. Uh <laughs> But 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 no, that's how how lucky you have to be, as you know, and the timing of things, and and that that's just all you know, uh, fate and luck, and and so I was fortunate uh, to be a part of you know the growing as a coach and as a teacher, un under arguably the best I've ever done it. So so when you go back to Duke, and I think this is really important for you know all the time, I'm trying to mentor younger coaches that you know want to get where you are want to get yeah. to where I was and they want to go like a hundred miles an hour. And as, my, yes. as both of our friends, Brad Stevens says, they want to skip steps. Yes. Uh, talk about the steps you took as, okay, you're a GA at Duke. You went to maybe outside of Harvard and some of those, your Ivy brothers, one of the most prestigious business schools in the country for post-grad in the Fuqua yes. school, right? Correct. And and so you do that while you're GA and you end up spending nine years with Kay as his assistant and associate head coach. Talk about your development there and the stages of that. Yeah, coach, that's great. And you're right about that with, uh, you mentioned with Brad, who's, uh, uh, there's no one better than, than Brad. I know you know that sure. uh, much better than I do, but just, uh, uh, and mentioning about skipping steps and, you know, there's a process. I was fortunate to, as I said, to be able to land and start, um, you know, as, as a GA under Coach K and under the other staff members, you know, that I, I work with and 
at, at that time at Duke, you know, Bob Bender, uh, yeah. as you know, was an NBA coach and it was a former college head coach and played at Duke and, uh, you know, Chuck Swenson, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was, was left right time when I graduated, he went off and got the head job at, uh, at William and Mary. So, you know, learning from him, he had just left, but I, you know, just know people like that in the business, Pete Gaudet, you yeah. know, just uh, a legendary, uh, you know, college coach and great teacher, uh, especially of big men. Um, you know, so just being a part of that, you know, work with Mike Bray, uh, who's obviously, at, you know, the head coach at Notre Dame. And so just being a part of a, a, a group of people that are good people. Um, and I learned the first thing and foremost to me was how, how, you, in, how important teaching is. I think, you know, the, we, get, we, get, we use coaching, coaching, coaching. But I think sometimes the word teach or teaching or the concept of that uh, is not evaluated or talked about enough. My mother was a longtime school teacher. My mother mm. taught for 50 years in the, uh, in the Washington, D.C. area where I'm from in the Fairfax County in northern Virginia and taught for 50 years. And so I grew up in a family with her, a lot of her sisters. My mother was from a big family, but a lot of teachers in my family. So I, as I'm in coaching, I think I recognized that, you know, right away. And I think I was, knew a lot of those you know, thoughts about how, how important teaching is. And I played for a great coach, as you know, high school coach in Red Jenkins. Fabulous. Uh, who fabulous. was a fabulous teacher, fabulous coach, but an even better teacher. And so I think as I started my coaching career, that's one of the areas that I really wanted to try to, you know, kind of hone in on the ability to teach. And I think in order to teach, you have to have the ability to, to communicate. And so I really, I think, and I look at Coach K and, you know, you talk about the wins and all the great coaches and, you know, you yourself and all the great coaches, I think you got to be a really good teacher, you know, first. And I, I think I try to understand that early on in my career. You know, it's funny, as you just were saying that, my mind just snapped into two of the most, inf- you know, I think the greatest thing about coaching to me is the ability to influence players we coach and others that want to learn from us, right? And, yes. And, and the impact that we can have on them, more so, unfortunately, than maybe their parents have. And, and, yes. But, you know, we take that responsibility so seriously. And... My high school coach was UB Brown, and there you go. UB when he, he he saw me play his sophomore year, and he said, "Should I gotta get out of here?" And he ended up <laughs> going to Duke as an assistant coach. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and then when I, as the UB took us when I was going into oh gosh tenth grade, he took us to the very first year of five-star basketball camp, right? Wow, right, right. 48 right. campers. And right. and we're up there, and, you know, and and the thing that, and, and the, you'll love this, the, the four lecturers that week were Bob Knight, the great George Raveling. Wow. Chuck Daly, the assistant wow. coach at Duke at the time. At, at Duke, yeah, that's right. And, and they let the high school coach, Hubie Brown, who is maybe the best lecturer I've ever heard at camp. Uh, the, absolutely. You know, it, they, they have those four guys are the people that I'm learning from. And that's what I miss about camps nowadays. Yes, you know, yes. Th- that, that's how we had to learn. And there was no AAU basketball. You know, we played that's summer right. league that's ball. Right. And, that's right. and, and I'm sitting there. And so Chuck Daly, literally, I know when I'm 14 or 15 years old, I'm learning from him <laughs> at basketball camp. And then yeah. fast forward years later, I'm coaching against him in the NBA. 
And and he also is a Duke assistant at the time before he becomes the head coach of Boston College. That's right. Becoming the head coach at Penn. And I look at those guys, and the thing about Chuck and Yubi was they're magnificent teachers, as you mentioned. That's exactly right. That's right. I think when you start really peeling back, you know, great coaches, um, and and to me, in some ways, too, great leaders, uh, I I think a basis and a foundation is the ability to – to teach and certainly in order to teach to how to connect and communicate. And, and so teaching, I just think if I'm speaking to young coaches, if I'm, I, you know, I've done things and I'm on a campus where you have <laughs> here at Harvard, where you're, you're talking about some of the preeminent, you know, scholars and faculty literally in the world. Sure. And it's, it's, it's really amazing to me that I want to reach out. I'm also a part of the, I do, I do some teaching. I'm an executive fellow at the Harvard business school. And they've asked me, and I don't know what the hell is wrong with them, but they've asked me to come over to, you know, sometimes help and give lectures and on teamwork and leadership. And so I'm always trying to extract things from where I am, whether that's you, whether that's Harvard Business School, whether that's other faculty at Harvard, in their methods and their modes and their thoughts and uh, their ways of teaching. I mean, you're, yeah, I just think teaching is the basis of all of us trying to become uh, whether that's a coach or a leader or you know wh- wherever wherever we happen to be, uh, being a, being an effective teacher, I just think is uh, is as good as it gets. Well, I think uh, you know, and you're in rarefied air where where you are in the coaching profession, but you know you are constantly in a growth mindset where you're trying to keep learning. So you have Brad Stevens right there. You had Doc Rivers before, Kevin Nielsen, guys like that that are around there that you're picking their brain. And the thing is, you know, like I love Tony Bennett and what he's about. And, and, you know, and Brad Stevens calls him up after the last year and says, can I come down and talk to you about, I want to get, Brad Stevens wants to get better. Yes. And, Yes. and that is That's what right. it's all about. Uh, you know, you know, it's like we're constantly trying to learn. And and I love that I get to spend a week with Tony every June because I run the Top 100 camp uh, mm, that's at, right. at the University of Virginia with the coaching program there. So we have 20 NBA players that want to become coaches when they're done. And so I teach them how to coach. That's great. And that's great. But I also now go for my doctorate in coaching from Tony, and we exchange ideas for a week. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. one of the best weeks of my life every year because we get to just exchange ideas and hopefully learn and grow. But what was it like? I got to spend time with Coach K with the Dream Team when Chuck and he and Lenny Wilkins and PJ Carlissimo were together. What was it like for nine years and four years prior as a player to be with him every day in the office and learn. Yeah, um, um, amazing experience. Um, how grateful, you know, the opportunity that he afforded me to uh, to be on the inner inner working inner circle and mm-hmm. uh, to to learn from him. And again, it goes back to what I just I said all the time. And I, this is not a knock to any uh, faculty or professors that I had at Duke University, but my best teacher that I had in college <laughs> was Coach K. And he was my basketball coach. And I say that because there's not a day that doesn't go by. There's something, you know, along the journey that I had an opportunity to spend with him as a player and as a coach uh, to reflect on and to probably try to utilize. And 
Um, I, you know, just for a quick example of that, when I got fired at the University of Michigan, I mean, certainly, you know, it's a, you know, it's a hammer. That, that's a blow to any of us. It's terrible. You know, when you, yeah, yeah, when you've been told that, you know, you, the best that you have is not good enough. Um, and you can write wrong and can debate till the cows come home or whether it was, you know, just or unjust or what, you know, we all have all those things come come into play. But I remember one of the first things that I did after getting that, you know, devastating news after, you know, you kind of take it in and, and you feel like you, you know, you hit this a gut wrenching feeling, but also the first thing I was doing, I thought about something that he always taught us through the course of basketball. And obviously it translates over into life experiences as well. But he used a phrase back when I was a freshman, I had never heard it before and you hear it all the time now, but maybe, maybe it was readily, you know, talked about before that. I just never heard it before. And that was next play. Mm. And I remember hearing him talk about to us, teaching us how to go from one play to the next good or bad throughout the course of a game. Like that's the difference in being a good player and having a good team is that can you move on to the next play? And, you know, whether you got a bad call, you missed a shot or you did something exciting, you know, you're trying to celebrate and, you know, can you move on to the next play? And I remember when I got fired, that's one of the, I thought to myself after going through that, I said, next play. And I, I, you know, so what I'm saying to you is that, you know, being a part of his, inner circle, learning from him as a player, learning from him as an assistant. Um, you know, I, I, I marvel at his, his ability not only to teach, I, I think he does three things, and I've learned this, and I've tried to emulate these three things as well as I possibly can. I think he does them, in my opinion, better than anybody else that I know, and that's to teach, to lead, and then to serve. <laughs> I think he does that, and I don't know that anybody that can – maybe the others have done them as well, I don't know that anybody has done it better than what he's done to teach, lead, and serve. And I'm sure you, when you talk about being a part of the USA basketball experience with him, with the Olympic team and different, you know, moments, you've probably seen him and, and interacted with him and um, had experiences with him. I'm sure that those three words probably really, really come through loud and clear. If you really start thinking about the moments you probably have shared. You know, that was, as you know, that was the greatest team ever assembled, you know, at that time, first time we ever allowed <clears throat> professionals to play in the Olympics. And uh, the average winning margin, I think, was about 47 points a game. And the wonderful players, and they were great players that played, you know, for Lithuania and Croatia. Sure. And, uh, and, the, most of the other teams were more concerned about just getting their picture and autographs from the yeah, from yeah. the players, but at the end, I think uh, you know, I thought it was just the best coach team. No, <laughs> the team was so good, and I remember when you know when Chuck and uh, Lenny and Kay you know had meetings and and they would talk about well what what should we run. And, you know, in Detroit, you know, we'd come off world championships and we were a really good offensive team, but we were obviously a really good defensive team. And I could never get Chuck to sit down on the year and a half prior to that to sit down and say, hey, what are we going to do? What What do you have in mind? You know, you got Magic, you got Michael. What? And Chuck used to have a phrase saying, whatever. You know, <laughs> that's all he would say is whatever. And yeah. that meant like none of your business and we're just going to move on, you know, and, yeah, and, uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah. and Mike, and, and Mike came and said, Hey, I got this really good offense. I got this idea. And Chuck said, okay. And he let him put it in. 
And I think right. this is brilliant. And they let him put it in. And I think we ran the play three times. And uh, yeah, yeah. all the games, because all we did is transition. <laughs> we rebounded, well, well, got defensive stops, and it was right, a fast break. Right. And, you know, but I think the beauty of, of coaching is to – you know, to take players where they can't take themselves. Yes. You know, when you're at Harvard and you have these kids that come there, first of all, the th- I got to tell you, the thing that really has blown me away, and, you know, I was coming at, into college the same time James Brown was, okay, Ooh, who's okay. a dear friend. 69. Okay, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and that was a great recruiting class that Harvard had back then. And, yes. you know, but when you got that job, you didn't say, well, we're just going to go out and recruit smart kids. You just went out and said, we're going to recruit the best basketball players in the country that are smart, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And so you, it, I, I, I really thought, Coach, that we, we have, uh, you know, and, not, and this is, you know, uh, Frank Sullivan, who was here before. No, Frank and, Well, and, yep. Uh, you no, know, and a wonderful guy and wonderful coach who did a terrific job. And we were, you know, I was passed this on to me at the time to, you know, Frank had pushed it and, and had done a heck of a job and became an all-time leader in the wins here. And um, and what what a great man and great coach he was mm-hmm. here in representing the institution. And, and so I was put, passed this on to me. And we just said, you know, this is uh, – and I talked to Frank even before taking the job. Um, that's how much he wanted his his players to – have a great experience and wanted to help me uh, who they were and what he thought. And I asked him certain questions and uh, what a guy who, uh, helpful he has been to me prior to coming to Harvard and having an understanding, you know, of the Ivy league and it's a different animal. And so helping me, you know, kind of ingratiate himself. I mean, to allow me to get some ideas and thoughts from him. So, uh, but coming in here, you have the brand of Harvard, and we wanted to utilize it in the way that we thought. It's one of those places where I think that it grabs everyone's attention. I also thought that no matter who they were as uh, as athletes or whomever they happened to be, I I just my thought was and I saying was that they'll take the Harvard call. Somebody will take the call. Somebody will answer it. And I said that's all we're asking right now mm-hmm. is that can we get can we get the attention, you know, of the people that we're interested in, and we did not want to you know, second, you know, kind of second guess ourselves of, well, this person is too good for us to know if we think that they're a candidate to be uh, admitted to our school, we're going to pursue that particular prospect and not worry about, you know, he's a McDonald's All-American or he's being recruited by Kentucky and Duke. And, right. and we, we're trying to say, like, this is Harvard. And we think that those individuals uh, will at least listen to what we have to say. And literally a year or two ago, you went head to head for the young man at Pace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was Duke hmm. Harvard, correct? That's right. That's right. That's right. And he's we have and a, he's pretty much a one and done. Everyone knows at the time. One and done, and and, and we knew that, and right? we had ta- absolutely everyone knew that, and he was that talented of an individual, um, and we had done all the necessary you know work to make our school and powers to be understand. Um, but you know what? I was so blown away by the response that Harvard had given me and us about trying to attract that, that young man here. And the, the thought was, and our president and everyone, is that our jobs at our school, at our school, and this is what I was told, is to go out and try to find the absolute best game-changing people that we can 
that are would be considered a candidate for admission on this campus. Wow! And if that's in music, that's in literature, that's in drama, that's in basketball, that's our job. And I was like, you know, I, I, and we never, we don't dif- differentiate differentiate from whether it's drama, economics, or in terms of someone having an enormous amount of talent, right? Versus basketball or tennis or no, that's a we we applaud that. Now they still have to be a candidate along the lines of any other kid, you know, that would have to be a candidate for admission. And if they, you know, kind of check the boxes, I mean, we're we're all in, and we we have no right to choose when a student should leave or should stay if if after they get here. That's not our business. Um, and because we've had a number of students and people who have decided to leave after they've gotten to Harvard, uh, whether that's Zuckerberg or Gates or right. Matt, Matt Damon. And, and that's what I was told by people at our school. And I was just really moved yeah. by that because that we want to, we are feel like we're in the business of trying to educate and teach. And we love to attract, you know, some of the game changing talents that happen to be out there in the world that would love to, you know, associate themselves with Harvard. And we, we thought that this young man, he fit that, he fit every bit of yeah. that criteria for us. Um, and obviously he chose a different path, but um, it, it was one of those where he came to visit and his parents wanted him to be here. And, and, and we understood how powerful and attractive, you know, uh, Coach K and Duke would be for any high school sure. phenom. But we also were presenting a different option that uh, we thought would be attractive for the right kid, and he he was a candidate for that. You know, I think what I what I applaud there is the terminology, uh, game changing talent for this university. Boy, that's almost yes. like that's like a super mature attitude. Unlike what our NCAA has, I can say that, not you. Yes. Uh, yes. You know that. Oh, if you're not, if you're one and done, we don't want you. You know, like yeah. No. What, what a what a bad message that is. You know. Yes. You know, yes. I think we, we we were never trying to get into the mindset of you know no one has a crystal ball is the way that you know we process it here to have a decision on who's going to be here after two years, one year, four years. We 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 I don't know that anyone can do that, but we want to make sure that we are doing our due diligence of do they belong here, you know, on the onset. You know, is, is is this the right candidate for our campus and our community? And if they happen to have this game-changing ability and talent, you know, wh- why wouldn't we really celebrate that? And we felt that that was the right call for this kid. And not every kid is going to fit that criteria for us. But when they do, we're not running away from it because so-and-so said or it's been rumored that he may not want to be in college for you know, for the four years. I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's just not the way we looked at it and went about the process of trying to evaluate, you know, the right what's right and what's wrong for us. Tommy, how hard is it now to look all over the country and, and possibly even the world for talent that meets your academic, your baseline academic stuff uh, to find these young people? And then with a very limited staff compared to, let's say a power yes. five school uh, yes. to go out and then find these kids, evaluate them, recruit them, and then bring them home, so to speak. Yeah. You know, coach, it, it, it's as for any program, as you know, and, and, um, in any conference or any, 
any place. Uh, sure. The recruiting aspect can be very challenging. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think finding them and seeing them may not be the, the <laughs> biggest part of it. Um, you know, one of the things that we deal with probably that's probably our biggest challenge, and to be very honest, is is uh, we're, we're non-scholarship. Yes. You know, so everything is need-based financial aid. But if you need the money to go to school here, we'll give it to you. Um, so we, we, I think at times we would end up maybe losing kids, you know, that would opt to go. And, and I totally understand it. I mean, how, how do you not understand this in the world we live in, uh, the economic, you know, socioeconomic scale of things. Uh, if a kid can go to, whether it's uh, a Stanford or Georgetown or, you know, UVA, I mean, great programs, great places, but go there for free and you have a chance to go to Harvard and we might, we might need to, based on your, uh, you know, your parents, you know, household income, we might need you to pay something to come to Harvard. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow at, at times for, for anyone. They could go to one of those other amazing places, great schools. Um, and then we do have, you know, situations here where if your household income is 75000 and below and you get in and you're still admitted, obviously, you can go here for free. So, I mean, there, there's some – our financial aid and our packages are incredibly generous, but I think the biggest challenge for us coaches is dealing with the economic side of it is for scholarship versus non-scholarship. And and, and because you – I, I don't know the answer. That's why I'm going to ask. You don't have then cost of attendance like the other schools do, or do you? We don't have that. Right. Um, but, but, but what you do have, though, if, if a kid is um, – we have, we don't we don't have that, but we have things because this is across the board. This is not an athletic sure. or, or basketball specific thing. I'm discussing our financial aid. This is goes across the whole student body. Um, but if a kid is uh, full, you know full, is a full qualified kid in terms of financial aid, where they come from a background where their under household income would be under seventy five thousand dollars. I mean, you would go here. I mean, you would get other things that come sure. with. Uh, that, that particular that's package. absolutely fascinating and, and just, yeah because yeah. we don't we don't want to bring the kid and say hey we brought you here and you don't have to pay anything so now you know good luck while you're here like that that doesn't that doesn't make for the kids experience like we're in we're making sure that one we want to if they, if they are here we want to make sure that they are able to absorb and um be a part of the entire experience and not feel like they're they're here but you know can't do anything while they're here so there would be concert tickets they could be we have a, a winter coat fund. You know, we we have uh, well, there's travel money for kids that are involved in various programs. I mean, so we want you if you do get here under a certain guideline of financial aid, we want to make sure not only do we help you get here, we want to help you make your experience a very meaningful one. That's awesome. You you got your 400th win recently, I believe. Correct. How about that? How, How about that? I'm, I'm getting a- old. And you did it in, and you're only 30 years old. It's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, only 30. Yeah, that's you know, <laughs> that, that is that in itself in a college schedule where you only play, you know, and especially in the Ivies, you know, where you you know, you're not playing uh, an SEC, ACC type of thing schedule wise with all the extra events, t- so to speak. But that's an amazing accomplishment. But talk about how once you 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 play a very aggressive non-conference schedule each year to give the kids a great experience you know on a national right, basis right. but when you get into the Ivy League play which i absolutely love you know eight teams and yes. you play mostly mostly fridays and saturdays 
talk right. about it, how hard that is for a coach to coach. It, it you know what it's it's a unique challenge, and um, I, you know I've been fortunate and lucky to have been a part of other conferences and leagues throughout my time thus far. And uh, th- this conference, as the Ivy League, and those who have been in it, been associated with it, been around it, uh, will tell you that there's nothing like it. I mean, you have like you said, eight teams. You know, everybody's home and away, so there's no unbalanced schedule. Right. Um, you play on Fridays and Saturdays night, as you mentioned. And so you're, you know, you're bussing every, you know, to your, your places where you play within our conference. Every, every game is a bus trip, right? Every game is a bus trip. So you play on a Friday night and you play that game, you get on that, you know, you finish (laughs) everything there, get on that bus and go to the next one. So you have your partners. So Yale and Brown, you have Penn and Princeton. Uh, You have obviously Harvard and Dartmouth, our our, our partner. Um, You have Columbia and Cornell. And so, um, you know, so when you play at Cornell, the next night you're at Columbia, if you're, or vice versa. Um, and so it is, it is a challenge to get prepared, you know, for two teams in two days. And so you have the whole week to try to do that. And so I've, we've tried to figure this out as we first started, the best way of mm-hmm. trying to get preparation about, yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, we never talk about, uh, they never use the second night's opponents name throughout the whole week <laughs> everything is geared toward whatever we're doing for that first game on friday now we practice things but we never mention or talk about <laughs> certain things for saturday i mean we will sprinkle things in in terms of preparation but we never talk or discuss the opponent's name saturday night until after friday night's game we just want our players just to be honed in on the first one and then we've tried to do all our stuff as a staff to make sure that we know that we're just ready for Friday, but we have things that we've worked on, we've looked at, we've done, and we're ready to go for Saturday once Friday ends. All right, I'll give you an easy one last weekend, okay? So I believe you're at Brown on Friday night, and then you go to Yale Saturday, correct? Correct. Okay, so uh, I'm going to say this. We get upset at Brown. Okay, yep. so we're yep. jumping on that bus after the ball game. It's approximately, what, 930 10 o'clock. That's right. About, about, about almost about quarter of 10, between quarter of 10 and 10, when we, we got to get out of there and get on the bus and head, head to New Haven. So like all schools, so we got some nice sandwiches and maybe whatever, yep. pizza or whatever right. on the bus. Okay. So that's right. we're going to drive, uh, if I remember, about two hours, two and a half to New Haven ballpark. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Love it old 995. Okay. That's uh, right. And so we get over there. Okay, we get in our hotel room. It's ballpark around midnight. What That's do we right. do in the next day before we play? That's right. Well, we there's some teams in our league that may do something that night. You know, and really, I, we, we don't. Yeah, they may they may do something or even on the bus. They may you know try to get the kids right away to try to turn the page. So you might even you know have a a, a scouting report you know for your next night's okay. game. So okay, teams sure. may give out a, a printed report for the yep. kids to read on the bus. That's no problem. Some, some people may have a, when I say the next, when you get in, sometimes uh, teams I've known and uh, have heard about and have talked to other coaches uh, in the past have done a little bit of a quick team meeting, you know, as soon as you get into the hotel. Okay. Every time we, every time we get to the hotel, the assistants and staff will always ask me, any meeting coach or just send them right to bed. And so we always opt for the most part, uh, unless there's something drastic we need to address, yeah. you know, that night, you know, that something happened, team chemistry, whatever. Um, but we normally like, hey, I'm normally like, yep, you know, we'll give them their 
you know, curfew. I mean, not curfew, but lights out, you know, right away in the bit, you know, everything's done to their rooms. And then we, we have breakfast the next morning on Saturday. And right after we finish breakfast in our meeting room, we start our scouting report and film for our Saturday night for that night's opponent. Wow. So we've done with Friday. I would probably give them a little feedback and synopsis. There are times when we generally can also do a uh, feedback film from Friday night. Sometimes we decide to, you know, nope, we're going right to the next, we're going right to Saturday night's game. We're not even, yeah. we're going to not talk about anything that just happened. There are a lot of times what we do, we'll give them feedback, positive and negative film. And certainly by me with a, somewhat of a, you know, summary of things. And then we visibly want to be able to show and say that, you know what, we've turned the page, we shut, you know, okay, that's done, you know, turn the page in our notebooks. And now here we go with the, the Yale scouting report and we're on to our focus and our attention has to be geared toward the Yale opponent or whatever opponent that is for that night. So I, I've also noticed that some of the second night games are even a, you know, most teams are playing at seven o'clock, but you guys in the Ivy sometimes are playing even earlier, right? Maybe because they, of they, travel. They, some of the games have been, uh, if TV may be involved, so you may move okay. one to, to, to six or even one have been at five to, yeah. to maximize the TV opportunity. Sometimes they move the game uh, to eight, maybe an hour later to okay. uh, stagger. You know, some of the, some of the teams may have a hockey game right at seven. <laughs> and they were trying not to have them, you know, you know, trying not to have them, you know, right at the same time, tip off for hockey and basketball, uh, given some of the facilities and issues of trying to navigate all that. So, you know, you you have some different <laughs> wrinkles there that you can you have to smooth out and work through. But nothing to me, nothing drastic or major there. You also have shoot arounds on Saturday if you opt to do it yep. uh, to get them up and go to the gym and go to the site of the, the opponent and have a shoot around or a walkthrough. We traditionally at times have not done that given that, you know, we feel it's best to keep them off their legs and, and let them get their rest. And we do a walkthrough in the hotel. Uh, we do a stretch in the hotel and then we have our pregame and then we're on to, uh, you know, our next opponent. We play that game, the Saturday night game. And then as soon as that was over, we get, Back to the bus, we get those we get those damn sandwiches again, and and, uh, <laughs> and, and we and we head home. Exactly. And, and, and even if you you guys were coming all the way from Philly f- to play Penn, you are you busting all the way home after the game? We're, we're busting all we're busting all the way home. After and Cornell for, after, and Cornell if you had to go right. there or, or Columbia, that's right. obviously. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, no, it's different, right? Uh, yes, yeah, yes. That, that's different. That's but, why I, adm- I admire these guys. I really yes, do, Coach. I, yeah. I really admire, you know, this conference. I admire the athletes in this league, and not just in, in, in basketball or men's basketball. I mean, um, I mean, it, you know, all of the athletes, student athletes around the country, in any capacity, any school, whatever, you have to have an enormous commitment um, and love for the sport, all the things, the sacrifices you have to make. Um, but, but this is this is even a little bit more challenging at times um that that test your 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 commitment we we have a saying in our program that we say don't mistake routine for commitment Mm. and a lot of times you can get into that you know routine of things and you can fool yourself just because i'm you know i'm coming to practice that makes me committed no 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 i mean that that's so we there's a commitment i think for the kids who are really really involved and i and really are passionate. Like I, I admire Jeremy Lin. 
I know I was hoping we get a chance to say a word or two about him. I mean, the commitment that this kid has had uh, to be a really good basketball player uh, while he attended Harvard, recruited by Frank Sullivan and his staff. Uh, I inherited him and I coached him from his sophomore year to his, his senior year. But the love that he has uh, for the sport of basketball, uh, that uh, how much it means to him and other athletes. That's why I said I, I admire, I really do admire these kids uh, uh, who I coach and I'm fortunate enough to be a part of their growth and development on and off the court. And, and, and truly, and I'm not saying this in any judgmental form, but against other Power Five athletes, is they're true student athletes. Number one. Yeah, I mean, and 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 I think uh, I think majority, you know, of, of of the student athletes across the country are true student athletes. I mean, I I think sometimes you know it can be viewed upon in a negative content context. Sometimes with uh, you know certain situations that come up that make it seem like you know the yeah. whole. The whole system is a certain way, but there there are truly student athletes across our country in these collegiate environments, and and at our place, I, I think that because of I really think the the league itself has a high level of perspective when it comes to that. Um, to be admitted to one of these schools is a it's incredible is a, tre- is a is a tremendous honor, and uh, and then but but also for these kids to participate in their sports, their respective sports at a high level. Uh, and to be a, a committed athlete as well. Like to think about this, I think this is probably something you maybe you wouldn't have thought of or wouldn't know. Um, but you 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 probably you, you're you're the smartest guy in the room all the time. Um, oh, wow. The Harvard Harvard Harvard. We have the largest athletic department of any college university in the country. Forty. We have forty sports. We have forty-two varsity sports. How about sports. that? See, how that's that's phenomenal. I mean, that's incredible. And power fives are hovering at sixteen to eighteen. Yes. Yeah. And so the ones like at Texas and Michigan and UCLA, you know, some of the yeah. you know some of the brand names that you would think LSU you know, where I, I mean, was, yeah, not not even come close to that. No. I mean, and, that's amazing. Twenty one women and twenty one men, and they're and they're dropping like you know uh, when I was at UCF, a great school, largest yes. enrollment in the country, almost seventy thousand students, and. Two sports that you would think they would have there in f- beautiful Orlando, Florida, would be swimming <laughs> and diving. Yeah. No. And the other one is the city of G- Orlando has the best youth gymnastics program in the country. Wow. You know, my daughter was a gymnast, you know, wow. and, and, and their, their club teams down there are no gymnastics, no women gymnastics. And it's wow. crazy that, and it's a wonderful sport for women, right? Great attendance, yeah. et cetera. Yes. And, and they don't have something like that because of Title IX, unfortunately. And, that, and that's wow. a terrible way to run a program for when you have 70,000 yeah. students on campus. Seven, you know? That's exactly right. That yeah. many students and that's exactly right. Talk to me about some of the some of the neat kids you've coached in general. I, I remember, you know, I, I got to coach with the Knicks, one of your kids. You had at Seton Hall, Tim Thomas. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, Seton Hall, by the way, uh, was a amazing job for you to get out in your first head coaching job to come to good old South Orange. And, and yes. I mean, like, you know, you talk about a different thing coming from, you know, the tobacco road to South Orange, you know, but a, a, a great tradition there at Seton Hall. And you had four really good years with four. Yeah, I, I was I was really, really lucky. 
uh, to land my first job there. Um, and, and as you mentioned, you know, quite different, you know, from, from where mm-hmm. I had kind of done my, my small, my, uh, you know, apprenticeship in, in terms of the learning from Coach K, Tobacco Road. Um, but I really wanted that. Like, I, I really wanted something, you know, different. I wanted uh, the opportunity to, uh, to be in a different environment, a different kind of school in terms of a, a small ca- private Catholic school um, in, in and an, an urban an amazing community. Big East back then, right? Amazing Big East. I mean, I was the, the 31 years old when I first got there, my first, my first coaches meeting. Uh, I was just telling this to someone the other day, and you know, I forget where we were. Maybe it was Ponte Vedra. I'm not one of the beautiful places, and uh, and Coach Thompson's there at Georgetown, mm-hmm. and all the other coaches, uh, you know, Bayheim and Calhoun, and those guys are like, you know, what are you doing here? Because I guess he hadn't come in maybe ten or ten ten plus years. He that he didn't come to coaches meetings, and so they were, you know, it's one of those where they were all stunned and shocked, and you know, jo- playing with him, jo- you know playfully about, you know, what are you doing here, blah, blah, And then there's a, you know, he absolutely goes into a lecture. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I use uh, that terminology um, <laughs> with, with all the coaches about the history of the Big East and why some of the things that have gone on in, its, in the previous few years that he thought was detrimental to the league. Wow. And it taught me right away about, you know, the value of thinking about the league uh, your conference, you know, as a whole and not just, you know, how it always affects you as an individual. And, but he absolutely, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at, uh, he lectured, <laughs> I'll leave it at that, um, for how he, how he described things and was absolutely making his point about some individuals in the room of, you know, saying negative things in the media by someone, another conference team that maybe made the tournament and thought that maybe their respective team should have been in it or, he gave a history lesson of how the league was was born and generated, how coaches in that league looked after each other, even though they competed like hell on game days. But, uh, you know, they, they talked about how we looked after the league, looked after each other, and mm-hmm. how if someone was on US, a committee for USA Basketball, you know, like you, you, were, you were certainly trying to make sure that, the, you know, that Big East Conference was represented or make sure they, wow. you know, didn't get shortchanged. I mean, it was – it was a it was a lesson, um, and he lectured like no one can lecture, as you know, uh, the big man. And, I, I, and I, but I, I thought it was just an amazingly insightful and meaningful for me to hear that in my very first meeting as a young head coach. Well, I was I was blessed to uh, to uh, <laughs> to know John when he was the coach of St. Anthony's in Washington. Oh wow! Yeah, and, yeah uh, way back. And his stepson, Donald Washington. Uh, was right. my teammate at Five Star, and uh, Coach would allow me to come down and visit him, and wow, you, you know, because that was my friend, that was my teammate from Five Star, wow. and when I get the job as my first job, I'm college, I'm 21 years old, to Dick Vitale at the University of Detroit, wow, and he says to wow. me, get in your car and drive to Washington, and here's the players you got to go see. Kenny wow. Carr at the math, uh, Duck Williams at you know yeah. Mackin, and that, you know and right. go to see St. Anthony's because they got a bunch of good guys. If you can get in, but you won't be able to get into practice there. Right. Well, not only did I get into practice, I stayed at coach's house. You know, and, how about that? Oh, you know, and uh, he he's one of the great people of all time. Yes, and he it's is. Just one of the 
He's one of the grandfathers of college basketball. That's right. And passion, wow. That's right. The Jesuits taught him to speak really, really forceful. They they, they taught him to speak well. Yes, exactly. And he would acknowledge that. He would actually say that's where he would say that's where he learned it. Exactly. Now, when you when you came to Michigan, um, that was obviously post uh, Bad Boys era and stuff like that. And I was happy that you got the job there, but I knew it was going to be a rough job, you know, for, for. for all the reasons, yeah. because of all the things that had gone on there. Ann yeah. Arbor, one of the greatest places, one of the great, great schools town. in the country and stuff. Yes. But as you mentioned before, uh, what was your mentality when you, and I think this is so important to coaches because if you're in this business long enough, at some point you're either going to not have your contract renewed or you're going to get fired. And I've had both. Okay. And, yes. uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't walk around with a badge of honor because it emotionally takes a toll on you every time, even if you're an assistant coach, you know, et cetera. That's right. Uh, but, you know, you talked about Coach K's help with the next play and stuff. And David Falk, is is he Ooh. still representing you? Is or, David Falk is, has been a, a, a dear friend and advisor to me since I've Yep. Uh, since I've been 14 years old, and so he's one of my best friends. And uh, through 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 our dear friend, how I met David Falk was through John Lucas, okay. who was my idol when I was growing up. Of course, and so, so you know, David is a great great friend. And and then the next thing I see is that you're going to Harvard, and I'm saying that is brilliant. That is freaking brilliant. And I and I thought. But when you was when Harvard was interested, what were your initial thoughts? You know, Coach, I'll tell you this: when 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 I got fired at Michigan, and I you know I mentioned about the next play yeah. kind of thought, uh, I, I was really you know how we get into our coaching world and and you know blinders on and your heads down and you yeah. just you just plugging along as long as you can. You don't even sometimes you're not even aware of what's going on. Uh, outside of you know your, your your coaching job, and I mean you are to a certain extent. My point of saying that is that I never brought my head up to think until I got fired of you know hey what else would be interesting for me to think about wanting to maybe do. Uh, my wife is a clinical psychologist, so she's yeah. in her she's a professional in her own right, and so I'm thinking I had no thoughts you know other than coaching while you're coaching. But then as I got fired, I was really knocked back by some of the interest that was toward me in other areas, whether that's I was um, approached by two universities of uh, getting in athletic administration. I was approached by uh, the networks of doing TV, certainly the stays in the game of basketball, uh, in private business. Um, I, I was just really uh, – Coach K always has a phrase, too, that he likes to say he likes to do at the end of every year. And it goes across the board for your program, your personal life. He talks about because when you're coaching, it's hard to do these things. But at the end of the year, he always likes to take what he said, takes inventory. Like, where am I? What am I doing? You know, my staff. This, I mean, all of the things that surround you as a professional, but also also as personally take inventory. And, and I kind of step back for a second. And of all the opportunities that presented themselves, the one call that I received that made me made my heart beat a little bit differently 
than the others was the interest that Harvard had. Mm. And I said, that one is, is, as I said before, because of the brand and the power of the institution and the name. And I thought about that, and I just said, hmm, that's, that's very intriguing. Uh, that would be very interesting to me. And so I remember getting the call, talking to Bob Scalise, the athletic director, um, and he said, you know, I'd love to get a chance to just to, um, you know, get a chance to say hello to you and visit with you and just share with you what, you know, what, what this would mean. Um, and we did that in Atlanta. The final four was in Atlanta that year yeah. in 2007. And that's where I met with Bob Scalise and his associate athletic director. And, and then we just, it was one of those where I was basically, I just listened. I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> pursuing it. Um, and I was in the mode of saying that I'm, I'm just, I don't know where my next move will be, but I'm interested in hearing people who have interest in me. And, uh, and so I was basically in the listening inventory taking mode. And then he said to me, he said, um, he said, I would love for you to, just think about uh, just coming up to, to Cambridge and Boston. And he used the phrase of just, just come up and kick the tires around. Mm. And that's how it certainly that's started. Awesome. The wheels were turning and that's what I ended up doing. And, you know, you know about the institution, you know, um, you know, Boston's a great town, mm-hmm. a great city. And so there's so many pieces and layers to the opportunity that Harvard was presenting that made it very attractive uh, you know, for me and for my wife as a, as a potential opportunity for us. And, um, and so that, that's kind of how it, it really began. And then one of the things, you know, as I said, I talked to Frank um, and also knew one of the things that was really interesting and compelling to me was that Harvard had never won an Ivy League men's basketball championship. It's incredible. It's incredible. And I, as, as, as disappointing on one hand, but then on the other hand for me, I thought that I said, you know, that's very tell, very interesting and compelling. I said that is going to be an interesting story one day when it does happen. And I was <laughs> saying to myself, I said, well, how cool would it be to somehow be a part of that? You know, when that wheel does go around one day. And now we say, what what would be what a year would be if Harvard doesn't win the title? That's, <laughs> Isn't that pretty? That's cool? where that, that's where we are. I mean, in terms of us that's trying neat. to. They take things to a different level, and, and um, but no, that that's the little bit of the inside of it, and how it kind of began the you know the, the push and in uh, the journey of me coming to Harvard, and then within thirty days of being fired at Michigan, I was announced the the new head coach in April of um, April of two thousand seven uh, as the new head coach uh, at Harvard. That's phenomenal. What a great ride it's been. It's been, it's been, and I'm on, this is my 12th year. I know that is, that that's crazy. Uh, you know, it, it, and it, I said, I said, yeah, Tom's been up there about eight years. I said, Oh my God, 12 years. I saw 12 years, I, 12 years coach. That's, that's yeah. incredible. All right. Here's the, here's the question. What, what's if in coaching styles, what's the difference between you and coach K coaching styles? Um, you mean, you could you start with Zion and uh, 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 R.J. Barrett, uh, Okafor, and Winslow, and uh, uh, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, um, you know, uh, same, what, what Coach K did at Duke is what we have adopted and have yeah. tried to be about here at Harvard, which when he was at Duke, his, his way of trying to build a Duke program was defense and Duke. We're trying to do defense in Harvard. Mm. That's what he did. He 
he had a style and a brand of how he wanted to play. And it started with how defensively of playing pressure man to man. Right. And then he wanted to make sure that he, you know, sold or presented or embraced all that the institution could do and could provide. We've done the same thing here. At we brought a defensive style to begin our journey here uh, with trying to, as we play back to back to one of the things that we really looked into when we first got here, you know, that we found that the second night was so hard, um, you know, when the you know, kids, you know, playing, trying to turn it back around, recover. And so we felt we needed to become more athletic and we need to become deeper mm-hmm. um, because of how hard the second night playing was. And so, and especially the way that we wanted to play defensively. And so our defense and our brand of our institution is what we have tried to hold up and to be um, steadfast in our commitment to those two components. That's what I feel like what Coach K yeah. was able to do as he was able to grow and build uh, the Duke program during his time at the very beginning of the 1980s. And Coach, Coach uh, would you say, Tom, what is Coach K's biggest, why is he so successful as a coach? You know, Coach, I, I think he's, um, he's a master at team building. Mm. I think he's a team builder. Yeah. I think he, I think he can, uh, and I think great teachers and great leaders, that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, like, you, you, you know, you talk about you know, Coach Hubie Brown and others that, you know, I'm a five-star guy. So sure. all through our, our, our time at Five Star with five-star people and, you know, being a great teacher of the sport, being passionate about it. Um, I think he has a unwavering, you know, uh, belief in uh, how he wanted to play. Uh, I think as you're building and starting a team and a program, you know, you need to have a, a style that, you know, what you're going to show, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to play this way. We're going to recruit toward this. Um, and then I think he's, I think he's been a master at, at this word, um, at adaptability. I think he's shown the ability. And you have to have given the longevity that he's had. Um, and I, I think he's embraced a phrase that I used that I learned from uh, reading and learning about Nelson Mandela. Um, and I think Coach K has done this masterfully and brilliantly as well as anybody, maybe Popovich and Belichick and yeah. others. But, he, but uh, Mandela would say, you can change tactics without changing principles. Love it. Coach right. K has never changed his principles, but he changed his tactics along the way. Yeah, you almost fell out of your chair the first time you ever saw him in a 2-3 zone, didn't you? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's exactly right. Exactly. Yes, but he's never he's never compromised at the end of the day on the core principles of what he believes in as a coach, what he believes in as a leader uh, on that campus at that institution. And so I, I just think that when you say what he, he's a team builder and I was one of those, you know, Johnny Dawkins and, Yep. Grant Hill and Danny Ferries, those guys were were great players. I wasn't. I mean, I would, my point of saying this is that I think he has an amazing way for the complimentary guys to always feel incredibly important, needed, meaningful. Um, and as as we know, you need all of that to be successful to win at the level he's done. But I think you know, I think he's recognized the the, the fringe guys. Or, and I use the phrase at times, like, you know, there, there's brick and then there's mortar. Um, you know, Johnny Dawkins was a brick. Mm. I happen to be more, I happen to be mortar um, <laughs> in my time as a player. And that, but I think he, I think coach really understands the value of 
of uh, of the mortar, you know, of, of yeah. peace. And, that, and that's that's a great team builder. I think that's what he does better than as, as well as anybody that I know. You know, it's it, it's amazing. For some reason, I've gravitated. Uh, Johnny Dawkins is a dear friend. Uh, He's amazing. Amazing human being. And yes. so happy for him. And and then Billis is an incredible friend. Oh. And and he, you talk about, I think he's a freaking genius at everything. You know, his yes. understanding of people is just amazing. But Jay is something. And, you know, I, I think, you know, and Grand Hill was a neighbor of mine when we lived in Florida. So, you know, all every guy I've ever come in contact with is just amazing from that place, which shows that the most important thing that I think Kay and you recruit or you recruit high character people. Yes. yes. You, you don't recruit talent one, you recruit character one. And I think that's so important. And yes, you know, but I, I think as, uh, you know, my, I noticed that, you know, Kay is, you know, now added only Duke grads or former players are on his staff, which is, mm-hmm. I, I think really unique. And, yes. um, and you're one of his proteges is now out like Wojo and yes. others that are out there and Chris, uh, that are out there coaching at a, at a high level. And I think he's so proud of you guys and what you've done and Mike Bray, et cetera, et cetera. But yes. I think one of the things that we look back is that, you know, he's very proud of you because you embody what he's about. And I think that's the highest compliment I can give that you are truly just like him in so many ways with your own unique personality and touch. But I think, you know, you're, you know, you're a, you're a coach of coaches and also, you know, you, you know, you're just one of those people that has a unique talent to, you know, love, serve and care for others like he does. And so Tommy, uh, I'm so thrilled for you. And, uh, you know, and I really appreciate you doing this, uh, for the people that listen and the coaches that you're going to inspire. Well, coach, I can't thank you enough for thinking of me to be a part of this great podcast, part of your great show. And, uh, it's it's been an honor. I've, as I said, I've known you for quite some time and admired you through all these years and uh, respect the heck out of you for all you've done and what you continue to do. And so thank you for, for sharing some thoughts with me and, and always being a help to me along the way. And uh, and please know it's going to I'm going to keep needing you now. So don't make sure you take my call when I when I come calling you. <laughs> I, I'll change my number. No, I, I, yes, I know me, you have. I, 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 I give you my new number when we get on. But hey. <laughs> Thank you so much, and I know our listeners really appreciate it. So, Tom, My pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. And, and win the IV again, brother. We'll, we'll certainly try. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, Tommy. Incredible opportunity to talk to you. And, again, the thing I love about Tommy Amaker is he is on a total growth mindset. He's always learning, but at the same time, because he's a great teacher like his mom, he's always teaching. So I picked up about 15 nuggets in the notes I was taking here of how to become a better coach. I know you will too. So till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sarah.